Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. And right now, I'm trying to think about what sort of hyperbolic introduction I can give to my co-host and good mate. See, I tend to like to big it up a little bit. I tend to type, you know, make something different, make it new, make it interesting. Last week, I tried the old wrestling introduction, and now I'm not entirely sure. Do I go understated? Do I overdo it? Do I just yabber on like this while I desperately try and think of something? Or do I just say, <laughs> g'day, Andrew Page, how are you? That's a safe option. You can do that. I'm good, Reasonably mate. safe, how- isn't it? I'm how, I'm, how are you? I'm exceptionally well, thank you, mate. Good to be with you. We are recording this in advance, as I said last week. Uh, all the episodes for a little bit, not the next couple of weeks, will be, will be pre-recorded. So I'm well now. I'm hoping I'm even better because I'm away somewhere. And holidays are all... I, love my, I really love my job. I genuinely do. But holidays are holidays. <laughs> I'll be, right now I'm somewhere in probably the top of South Australia, somewhere like that, maybe oh, nice. even uh, Northern Territory somewhere. So I am, I am going to be having an absolute ball. Uh, if you want to be bored stupid by holiday photos, feel free to follow me on the socials. Uh, I try not to overdo it, but it's also some really cool stuff to share. So I'll do a little bit of that. If you're, if you're suitably interested, uh, I, I don't, you don't like kind of the jealousy stuff. I like say, hey, look how good my life is. It's, it's rubbish. <laughs> uh, trust me when I say, though, we're not, uh, not five-starring it. We're driving and camping. So that, no one's going to love the accommodation, but hopefully the views are to die for. We'll, we'll have to see. you got to love the night um, sky out there. <laughs> oh, mate, I cannot wait. Can't Can't, wait. I never did, get uh, sick of it. No, I posted on this is a massive tangent uh, a couple of well, a couple of weeks ago now, a couple of days before we recorded this uh, on Facebook on my Facebook page, a really cool post from I think it was one of the national parks or state government something, just the the sheer beauty of the night sky and like just there was nothing better than phone off, no lights around. You look up and go, oh my god! Mm. I honestly, you know, this is this is a stupid thing to say, mate. I used to live in the in suburbia. I live a little bit out of town now, but you don't really realize how few stars you see. Actually, I can still remember in my place. I've, you know, it's probably three, four times as many stars in, as in the city, and then more as you go further away. And you look up and go, "I didn't realize I was missing this stuff." It's just, yeah. it's, there's something about perspective, right? Of just maybe when there's fewer stars. It's, it's a bit of like bed light, you know, sort of bedroom twinkling lights. When you get out of the city, it's like, "Oh my god!" Talk about perspective. Yeah, yeah, and you're still only seeing less than one percent of what else that's out there. So it's, <laughs> and, and the light that was sent, how many billions of years ago? It does your head in. We're, we're pretty, pretty pretty insignificant. Yeah, <laughs> we really are. Puts things in perspective. Have you still got that as your Twitter thing? The the picture of the cosmos you used to have up on your Twitter. I didn't know uh, once though. Maybe I do. Oh, geez, I don't yeah. even know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you the one that says you are here with a picture yeah, of the Milky yeah, Way yeah. galaxy. Yeah, I love that. I love it. Anyway, if you want to find out what Andrew does, go to <laughs> go to at sage underscore Simeon. He may or may not at this point, uh, or at Strawman Invest. You can follow Andrew. Let's get him out of the way while we're talking about it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Insta. Uh, fair warning, mostly holiday photos in the next couple of weeks. Uh, at TMF Scott P on both or at The Motley Fool AU. Uh, Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money. Mate, while I'm here, I hope that between recording this and Alyssa's hearing this, I've said this otherwise, but in case I haven't, because I might forget, um, I am getting a lot of my accounts are being spoofed at the moment and there's a lot of scammers who are trying to pretend that they're me. And for what it's worth, just what they do, what they do is they they look at my account or anyone's account they're, they're trying to scam. They actually look for the followers on that account, and then they send messages to those followers pretending to be me. So you don't even have to actively follow that account to be can be conned by it. All then you get a message from Scott Phillips at TMF something something something, almost the same address, and you think it's me, and so you start a conversation. They try and scam you out of stuff. So look, I've I've done it on the socials themselves. 
Um, I hopefully, as I said, will remember to do this <laughs> later this week when we record the the uh, the current podcast. But if I haven't or don't or you didn't hear that one, please be super careful. I'm not going to send you... I love you all, but I'm not going to send you individual messages from nowhere. I'm not going to offer to sell you things. There are no Bitcoin promotions. There are no <laughs> special giveaways. I'm not going to... I'm, not, I'm no Nigerian prince. Uh, just just seriously, please, please, please be careful. Um, they're, they're clever in inverted commas. Uh, my, the Twitter one scamming people at the moment is TMF Scott Peebert with one T, for example, rather than two Ts. On Twitter, uh, there's a spoof account, TMF Scott P, and then a little R at the end. And they copy the profile picture, they copy the cover page, they copy the tweets, and they pretend to be me. And then you look at the account and go, that seems like Scott. Why would I assume it's anything else? And that's what happens. So please be careful. Not just me, anyone you follow. Just just always check, check, check. Please check. Um, I'd hate for anyone to be scammed because uh, they thought they were talking to me uh, on Twitter or Insta or elsewhere. Sorry, that's a bit of a tangent, but I just, I really, really, I hate the fact they do it. I hate the fact the social networks can't be bothered to actually make an effort. Like we do AI these days and they can't find spoof accounts. Come on, people. Mm -hmm. it's, it's clearly, you know, if if the same profile picture and cover photo is being used on two accounts, maybe one of them is a, it's not hard, right? It's not hard, but mm. they don't care. So please look after yourself and, uh, and be careful. Yep. That was a long intro. Mate, um, let's get to the questions then. We had a question. Now, I'm going to say to our, to our listener, I'm tempted to mention your first name just because you broke rule number one. And rule number one is not giving me praise. Rule number one is if you want to be anonymous, say it at the top of the message. Again, I'm, I'm really trying very hard not to mention your name right now because I'm seeing it at the top of my screen. Uh, on paragraph four, there's a mention of being anonymous. Now, dude, can I tell you, I am not that good, generally speaking. The fact you're getting away with this is just because I am happened to scan this while I was talking rather than actually reading it out. So please, if you want to be anonymous, put it at the top. With all that said, our anonymous listener says, Dear Scott and Andrew Pagey Page, firstly, can you shed some light on what Strawman is? <laughs> uh, we're a private online investment club. And then he as, says, as how well does know. one get involved with it and benefit from its services? <laughs> Uh, well, you go to the website and check it out and see if it's for you. What I'm not going to shill too hard. We don't, we don't do that. You know, to be honest with you, I think, <laughs> I just think uh, we prefer to let people find us rather than than the other way around because <laughs> you just, you know, icky. Uh, no, not icky. It, it's just like you, you, you want the people that want to be there, right? Yeah, that's actually a good point. That's 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 my sort of mantra with that. So yeah. quality over quantity. Really, really good point. Um, love it. Hey, uh, anyway, that's a genuine one, by the way, from our anonymous listener who I okay. almost again did name just then. Uh, on another note, your genuinely that was genuine. Your podcast has been a fantastic resource, and I would love it if the episodes could be released earlier on Sunday mornings. How much more early? How much earlier do you want? I guess some people are up even earlier, are they? Who, what time who's does it come out? out before eight o'clock. <laughs> Not up at eight, eight o'clock on a weekday. How much early? <laughs> well, not all of us work for ourselves, Andrew. Some of us have real jobs. That's, you know. <laughs> you've, you've got people to do things for you. We have to work. Uh -huh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he says, and this is the key one. This message has come from an anonymous former supplier. Now you tell me. Who has been observing the retail industry and your recommendations closely. They are curious. They're even referring to themselves in the third person now. That's all even a bit bizarre again. They're curious about your recommendation to invest in JB Hi-Fi, but not Harvey Norman. Particularly as, Scott, you hold shares in Harvey Norman. They've raised some points about both companies for your consideration. I, can I tell you, anonymous listeners, talking about yourself in the third person is even weirder. So I'm going to go with it, but just know that it's, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Harvey Norman's market position and relationships with suppliers seem to be strong, potentially offering better purchasing conditions 
the JB Hi-Fi. Leadership from Katie Page and Jerry Harvey is seen positively, as is the direct correlation between individual store performance and proprietor earnings, something that contrasts with JB Hi-Fi and the good guy stores, where the strategy is often led by head office with less store-level innovation. Jerry's significant retail owner, real estate ownership tied to Harvey Norman is also noted, along with his assertion that Harvey Norman's assets are worth more than the stock price. This reminds him of Warren Buffett's investment in Disney, when one attraction was valued more than the whole company. How do you see these aspects impacting Harvey Norman's investment potential? In contrast, JB Hi-Fi has outperformed Harvey Norman recently and manages the good guys, even though the good guys hasn't shown strong performance. While JB's cost to serve is lower than Harvey's, does this advantage offset Harvey's superior leverage with suppliers? Also, how do JB Hi-Fi and the good guys' membership with NATA, which is National Retail Association or something, influence their competitiveness given the cut taken by NATA from each supplier? Lastly, they, are, they, they again, third person, are considering investing a considerable sum currently the offset of their investment into the stock market. The plan is to dollar cost average into the Vanguard Australian Shares Index ETF one month, followed by investing in companies like Brickworks, Fortescue, Harvey Norman or JB the next. What advice or thoughts might you have on this approach? Your thoughts and insights on these matters would be highly appreciated. Thank you both for your weekly wisdom through the podcast. Full on. He even puts his own name at the end of the thing. If you're going to be anonymous, don't do that. I'm going to read it. I promise you. Don't tempt, don't tempt me. Don't. You shouldn't trust me that well. <laughs> right. I'm desperately still going to try and not say the name. Our anonymous listener, Andrew, wants to know. So you're not necessarily a, a big retail guy, but what do you what do you make of the kind of, on one hand, JB's operational excellence and, and perceived quality versus Harvey's price and that kind of store level, get it done kind of mentality? <sighs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was a that was an interesting laugh. What was that laugh? Uh, I, I, it's it's so hard. I mean, they're they're retailers, so they've got that in common. Um, yes, but they're very they're very different in a lot of other ways. Um, and I don't know that there's any reason to to go for one or the other. You can perfectly hold both if you like both of them. And as far as retailers go, both have got a pretty decent history on them. Um, JB Hi-Fi has massively outperformed Harvey Norman over the last five or 10 years. Uh, and that's because the earnings have grown at a much, much more significant rate. So there are attributes that you can point to and go, well, this should be really great. It's like, well, yeah, it is. And it's probably a good advantage, but it hasn't translated into the, the key thing that really matters for us as investors is ever-increasing amounts of free cash flow that these yeah, companies right. generate. Yeah. So an attribute really is only of value if, if it does that from a from a purely financial that investment. That is a kind lovely of way. way to put it. You know, it's not a new thought, but that's that is beautifully expressed, mate. Can I say because we sometimes hold out these things as being important for their own sake. Yeah, and they're just really not right. No, it's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, look, there are there are more than there are reasons other than money for, for doing things. Yes, a lot of good true, reasons, true. and I really want to be want to be clear on that. But if we're talking <laughs> very narrowly here, just purely on which is the better investment? The better investment yeah, exactly, correct, is the correct. one that is more capable of of, yeah. of driving those cash flows, and I suppose it is is priced appropriately to mm. that. Um, so I I don't know each company um, in great detail to sort of make an argument here for one over the other. Um, mm. But I'll, I'll, so I'm going to hot potato it to you only because I know that you, you do own <laughs> shares in one, so you'll probably be able to speak much more yeah. uh, intelligently about it, but. Yeah, I do think as a general comment, retail mm. is getting getting interesting. Um, 
the the multiples that a lot of these companies are trading at. I mean, even JB is great, trading on a pre-multiple of ten. It's very low, um, and the dividend yields of. Like Harvey Norman's dividend yields eight and a half percent currently. Yeah, JB's can't be far off that. Yeah. Now there is something I think that we need to be aware of. I wrote about this to our members recently. Is this the so-called yield trap, where mm-hmm. if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Twenty seventeen, Telstra was offering a seven and a half percent fully frank yield. Except mm-hmm. you know, twenty eighteen they cut the dividend by thirty yeah, percent. Exactly, and twenty nineteen yeah. they cut the dividend by thirty percent again. Yeah. So yeah. there's the old joke that we often reference, which is you know, two economists walking down the street. One says, "Look, there's a hundred dollar bill," and goes, "The other says, no, it's it's not there. If it was, someone would have picked it up." And <laughs> exactly. and, and the, I guess the 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 thought there is that mm. if people genuinely thought there was a sustainable eight and a half percent yield plus franking credits, they would <laughs> yeah. buy it and they would push yeah. the price up. But yeah. they're not. So what it says to me now it doesn't mean the market's right, by the way. It's often wrong, but but it seems to be telling me that for whatever it's worth, it doesn't believe that the yield is sustainable, or that any growth component that's coupled with that is not going to add up to anything that's going to be a, a decent return. That's what it says. Now, as an investor, you're implicitly sort of going against that. You're saying no, I'm seeing value even though the consensus doesn't. So you're always going against the market to, to at least some degree. Um, but I would I would take that concern seriously and ask yourself if it's legitimate. And I think for a lot of retailers, it is a legitimate concern. It's just like, well, it's quoting a 14% yield because the dividend's going to be cut. And if you dig into it, they've probably even said they're going to cut it or something like uh, that, right? Yeah. Um, but, but there will be others that have actually, no, we've got every amount of capacity to to do it. And and it will it will prove to be a very salient investment if, if you if you take it at, at, at this point in time um, I never rely on analyst forecasts but I often look because it's I'm just I'm just curious to see what the quote-unquote consensus says and if I look at JB hi-fi so what they do last year 2022 378 per share earnings 2023 oh I'm sorry no I got that wrong 481 <laughs> the estimate was 378 it actually came in at 481 huh analysts Close. were wrong, Speaking Speaking analysts were wrong again exactly. <laughs> go, go figure no, no, um, the company missed expectations mate you know that oh, that's right it wasn't the company's fault uh, I mean it wasn't the analyst's fault no. anyway so so last year 481 uh, 2023 they're saying 462 2024 they're saying 352 and 2025 they're saying the same so it's going to come if you're, I've got to be careful of my language here the expectation, at least from these particular analysts, on average, and there'll be divergence amongst that, is that earnings of plateau, uh, earnings will 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 decline from here. And they were right last time too, right? So yeah, look again. This this is what you've <laughs> got to I, figure I, out. This is correct, what you've got, correct. and that's why I'll, I'll palm it to you for, for for comment on these. But if you're of the view that no, they should be able to maintain, or even if they do cut, they won't cut by much. Then yeah, you've you've got a pretty decent investment thesis. Um, do you think they can? I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll say that more in the context of Harvey Norman because I think you know them better than JB. So I will I will give this away free. We've recommended both Harvey Norman and JB Hi-Fi at Motley Fool Share Advisor, uh, which is not a plug, just by, by way of something free for our listeners and also just so they know where we're sitting. But as you rightly say, mate, it, it, it is the only one I own uh, of the two. So those things are absolutely true. I And, and I think we, we talked about last week in the mailbag 
the idea of you know good management and good and bad businesses and good and bad economics and that kind of stuff right so the question there's kind of a couple of questions here the question is which of the two is preferable because you always should buy the one that's preferable mm-hmm. you probably should have a diversified portfolio as well and i'm buying both but um you know if, if one is preferable over the other that's worth knowing the first question of course is you know if jb is better than hi-fi but they both suck well be careful right or yeah. the other way around yeah um if they're both good then it's a embarrassment of riches and you're probably not going to go too far wrong with either but of course you try and find the best one so those things are all true i mate am i'm fascinated so you talk about mis- market mispricing and i had a half a question for you and this is an unfair answer you'll you'll absolutely uh, disagree with the uh, the premise of the question. You'll go on to explain why it's wrong, and that's completely appropriate because that's what I expect you to do. Uh, <laughs> but if you look at these two businesses, I want to I want to share just something very quickly with you. If we look at JB Hi-Fi right now, JB Hi-Fi is trading as you've already outlined on a PE according to Comsec. Just picking a number, just just it's rough. It doesn't matter. Ten point seven times earnings, mm-hmm. right? Harvey Norman is trading at eight point six times earnings. Now. That would suggest, okay, maybe Harvey Norman's cheaper or maybe JB Hi-Fi's growth's better. Those two things could be absolutely true. Mm. Here's what I really struggle with. We might have talked about this broadly before. Harvey no- JB Hi-Fi leases, I think, every one of its stores. Harvey Norman, or Jerry, Harvey, Harvey Norman owns the franchise. These don't. Harvey Norman owns almost all of its stores. Its property portfolio is about as big as its market cap. Now, if you split this out, what you're effectively saying is, assuming that the property is valued correctly, and it may not be, assuming it's valued correctly, if you split this out, you would get a property portfolio worth the company's market cap, and they would give away the retail operation for free. Hmm. So if you, you know, if Harvey Norman became JB Hi-Fi all of a sudden, or vice versa, this business that looks cheaper, and it is, on an earnings multiple, when you then spin off all those assets, this is probably, the, the, the retail business may have negative value right now. And that's a bit, I really, I own Harvey Norman, right? So I'm massively biased, but I'm also, I bought Harvey Norman because of this, or partly because of this fact. It was the same with Meyer and DJs. Meyer and DJs just traded the same PE back in the day. Meyer owned none of its property. DJs owned all of its property. And at some point you kind of stop and go, that, you know, what, what, what am I missing? Or what's the market know that I don't? Because that to me, you know, if you're fully asset backed by the property, your market cap's roughly the same as the property value. It, it just strikes me as interesting, mate, that you can look at two retail, not you, market looks at two retail businesses and says, these are worth roughly the same, despite the fact one's got $4.5 billion in property and the other one leases everything. Am I, am I, am I miles off base? No, no, not at all. Not at all. There's is wonderful it- support, you would imagine, because, yeah, I mean, as you say, you could just, you could just close down operations, flog off the business, and you get all your money back. Right. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying they will sell the assets or even that it should be worth X because of the assets. I'm just saying if you've got two businesses that are on roughly the same PE and yet one owns nothing, one owns everything, it, it makes it very hard to justify the fact there's no... It, not talking about downside protection necessarily, although that's part of it. But if you look at that and say they are worth the same, roughly the same on an earnings multiple... Admittedly, JB Hi-Fi is a faster growing business on a slightly higher PE. That's fine. I'm not saying it should be exactly the same. I just, I just find it, I find it hard to understand how the market can look at that four and a half billion dollars pretend it doesn't exist from a valuation perspective when you look at the Harvey Norman share price. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not expecting to know the answer necessarily. I'm just, I am genuinely. I'm waiting for someone to say, oh yeah, but that's because like, oh okay, good, good to know that because it doesn't make any sense to me. I just, I literally I, can't understand how you can have a business that 
the retail business is effectively a zero negative value or close enough to negative value because the, the, the market cap's wrapped up in the property. The argument might be that it's just like, well, he's never going to sell the property. Of course. Right? So of it's course. sort of like, yes, it's there, but it's ne- I mean, he's, he will you have to call that out of his cold dead hands before that would happen. <laughs> it's just sort of like, yes, it's there, it's but it's true. never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. Yes. And yes. so, you know, it's what it's probably looked at is in like, well, the advantage, look, mm. I, I, again, this is not what I think, but I'm just trying to sort of yeah, under, yeah. understand the thinking, which is that value is never going to be realized. Yeah. Um, it saves you a bit in lease, but there are that's other costs true. associated no, with it. And in point. fact, the, uh, the highly paid, um, you know, Stanford-trained uh, business consultants would say it's actually a very lazy balance sheet because you should sell all your property <laughs> and then lease it <laughs> back yeah. because then you'll have a far more efficient capital structure. In other words, yeah. you can realize, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that you can now invest and get a great return on. What return are you getting on the property? The return you're getting on the property is the lease that it saves you um, and any long-term appreciation in, in the in the, in the the price of that. But, mm-hmm. you know... Um, I don't think I subscribe to that. I think all else being equal, I think there's there's something to be said for, you know, I wouldn't call it lazy. I would probably call it safer. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. More conservative, yeah, exactly. yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you can have your argument as to which one you prefer, but I'm trying to sort of un- understand it. I think probably the more general, the more general theme that we're seeing here is that this is all a macro story. There's pretty dire mm. things happening in the world's largest economy at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Every man and his dog is saying that there's going to be a very brutal recession. Let's see if that happens. I don't know. Um, but it seems pretty dark at the moment. And I tell you what suffers in a recession is all the consumer discretionary stocks, you know. Um, so so that's, I think, what's at play. The, the interesting thing is here is that you can always, like, you know, forecasts are hard, but, but you can always <laughs> play the what if game. And so yeah. let's have a go of the what if game with, with Harvey Norman. And there'll be someone there going, exactly that. It's going to be a really economic, it's going to be an economic Armageddon. We're going to have the a biggest recession that we've seen in, in a generation. It's going to be really, really nasty. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, what happens? Oh, the dividends will be cut in half. Oh, God. Okay. That sounds really bad. So wait a sec. They paid near enough 40 cents last year. I'm only going to get 20 cents under that scenario. Wait a sec. Shares are at 361 desperately getting my calculator out here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, still, still, still. Yeah, you're getting a 5.5% fully franked yield. And that's even if it halves. That's that's assuming that it halves, right? Yeah. Now, um, doesn't mean that the share price won't go to another 50% or yeah. whatever. Who, who knows? Yeah. But it, it, I think you can, you can have a very bearish outlook and still make a case for value. I was on Osbiz last week, I think, and Dusk was in the news. We were talking a bit about Dusk. These are the guys that sell That's fascinating, that business. Sell candles, right? Yeah, yeah. Air yeah. purifiers, these kinds. Not my market, not my bag. But anyway, they listed <laughs> in the in the in COVID actually. And they just made yeah. out like bandits because we not, did. we didn't have anything to send our money on. So a lot of people bought <laughs> scented candles, apparently. Candles. <laughs> and you, you didn't? know. I didn't. No. You know. Um uh, but but uh, things have sort of changed now where that kind of, like sales have been falling off a very high and probably artificially high base. But, yeah. but the, my comment was, and I don't know the company well enough to have a, a high conviction view on it, mm. but the question isn't 
will things get tougher in a deteriorating economic environment? Because they will. There's, no, there's not a question of that. And it's not even a question of, will there be a tougher economic environment if you're a true long-term investor? Yeah, the question is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. the question to me is, is, is this a business that is structurally challenged? In other words, we have yep. to expect as investors in retail, there are going to be periods of exceptional um, uh, profits and there's going to be periods of really disappointing profits. Mm. And, and you just have to wear that throughout the various parts of the cycle. If the business is still able to weather the storm and endure, and even if they slash their dividends significantly, but I'm still getting a decent yield on today's price, and they emerge at the other end, that's an incredible buy. It's a phenomenal buy. Now, it, it, I'm, be careful here. I'm not saying it's a phenomenal buy. I'm saying if. <laughs> if A, right. then B. That's, that's what that's I'm right, saying. That's right. And that's what you've got to have, have your view on. Has the drop in earnings and has the forecast drop in mm. earnings for Harvey Norman and JB Hi-Fi, does that point to the business not operating well or does it point to just the very difficult conditions that they all have to sort of struggle through? If it's the latter, I think there's a very interesting case for value. And I've made the point before with with retailers is that that's the time you want to buy them when earnings are down um, and the multiples are down because out the other side, not only do earnings Correct. recover, <laughs> right. but so let's, let's say, let's say that happens, right? Let's say that poor old Harvey Norman, bring up my forecast page again. What is it? They're at, they're at uh, 65 cents earnings per share last year, expected to be 40 cents and then 34 cents. All right. Okay. So, so that happens. It's still a P of 10, under that under that forward basis, so it's a very low multiple. But let's say, ah, uh, making this up, 2025, they're back to where they are at 2022 levels. So there's a very brutal recession. Things really get knocked for six, and then they 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 come back. Well, it's not just that the earnings going back from what did I say, 30 odd cents back to back to 65 odd cents, but the PE going from eight to 15. Correct, absolutely. Well, seven, let's make the maths easy, seven and a half to 15. <laughs> so I've doubled the earnings and I've yep, doubled yep, the multiple yep. for a quadrupling yep. or 4X of, of my return under there. I think that's I think it's a really interesting kind of setup. Um, and that is in a nutshell, mate, exactly my thesis. You've, you've outlined it beautifully, so I can't add all that much to it, quite honestly. Um, I, you know, people say, why shouldn't you wait till the recession's here? Well, if you look at the, I've said a million times, if you look at the stock market, the market crashed before any COVID cases were identified in Australia yep. and then had recovered well before and then during both Delta and Omicron. Yeah. So you kind of go, hang on, if I'm waiting for the fact, I'm over. Yep. So so maybe maybe it happens like COVID, maybe it doesn't. That, that's, those things are absolutely possible. Now, as I said before, I bought Webjet in late February of 2020. I'm not <laughs> a forecaster. Clearly, it was the worst short-term uh, return I've ever had. Uh, it was a debacle. Um, I also recommend to our members, so apologies to any member who followed that. That was just an awful, awful recommendation. Uh, but again, uh, for, hey, for, hey, uh, when you're right 51% of the time, you're wrong 49% of the time. That's I'm going to do that. <laughs> uh, but so, so recession, right? So, so again, here's, and it's even simpler that for me, mate. Like I'm, I'm a long-term investor, right? So here's the thing. Isn't it likely that JB Hi-Fi and Harvey, and Harvey Norman's shares, uh, sorry, profitability, is roughly, in five years' time, isn't it likely it's about where it is now? Yeah. Will it be a recession in the meantime? I don't know. Will it be big? I don't know. Will it be long? I don't know. Is it going to come back to, unless the economy permanently shrinks? So I think you mentioned structural, mate. This is what I love about it, right? So unless a competitor structurally damages or the economy structurally damages or their balance sheet, straight back to back to Harvey Norman, by the way, structurally damages these businesses permanently, 
unless we're buying fewer TVs as a country in five years' time, unless we're buying fewer laptops, fewer couches, fewer games, fewer albums in five years from the art today, unless we're doing that, we might be, but unless we're doing that, the reality is these companies are probably going to go back to and then probably exceed the current levels of profitability. And when they do, if you say, would you like to buy today's level of profitability in 2028 for eight times the price and get paid a yield that might be half for a year or two years and then go back up eventually. Over five years, isn't it really likely you're not going to lose any money? Isn't it really likely you're going to probably make some good money? Yeah, not guaranteed, not certain, no promises. Isn't it likely? Yeah, it is. And on that basis, for everything else I have to guess about investing, where will where will startup tech company, specy miner, biotech hopeful be in five years' time? Good luck. Mm. Where will Harvey on a JB Hi-Fi be? I don't know. Five years' time, listen to this podcast and then laugh at me and send me annoying emails about how terribly wrong I was. But I just don't see a circumstance in which you're buying Harvey Norman for a P of 8.6 with a yield of about the same. And in five years' time, earnings are lower than they are today. And if they are, not by much. And if they are, I will be paid a decent yield for those five years. And this should be roughly what they're worth now. Plus, if they're still worth that, they're probably still cheap. I just, if you, if you do a range of outcomes, this is not going to be a 10 bagger anytime soon. But I'll tell you what, if you, if you want to, if you, if you like your franking credits, if you like your dividends, and you like, understandable businesses and you like cheap businesses and you like brands and you like retail i don't know i could be i could be spectacularly wrong people will absolutely hit so we're recording this date snap it being played later recording this on 22nd of may 2023 by all means knock yourselves out email me in 2028 and say you're an idiot phillips and so be it uh, but again, I wouldn't just buy these two stocks. But as part of a diversified portfolio, that's why I bought Harvey Norman. I just looked at that and went, well, I don't really understand what the downside is over any meaningful period of time. In, in six months' time, who knows? People say, oh, why don't you wait? Well, because it could get, you know, share price could go up even if the market gets worse. So I don't know. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I don't know. I, I can't predict the future. All I can say is if Harvey Norman's as profitable as it is now and I buy it for single-digit PE of current earnings and I get paid a nice dividend on the way, I don't know, mate. Nothing, nothing's a slam dunk. Nothing's a guarantee. I don't want to. I don't want to at all suggest this isn't. This is a fail-safe, idiot-proof investment. I just think, given the range of outcomes, I'm very, very comfortable owning Harvey Norman shares. I wouldn't be that uncomfortable with JB Hi-Fi either, for what it's worth. I bought Harvard because I think it's cheaper. Uh, the dividend yield was higher, and it's property-backed. And if I'm going for a low PE play, <laughs> you know, if I'm going for a value-ish kind of investment. Harvey's just an easy one, given the choice of the two. I think I think part of being an investor is having a preparedness to look really dumb for long periods of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you will, right? You will, yep. and yep. and and yeah. By the time you're sort of vindicated, everyone forgot what you said anyway, and <laughs> right. we'll put it all down to luck. So yes, it's it's yes. tough, but you're not in yep. this game to like sort of make friends. You're you're in the game to sort of try and nurture and grow your wealth. So. Yeah. Uh, there are some really good lessons from history, though. Um, mm. Let's go back. Let's wind the clock back to um, 2007. Economy was booming. Jerry Harvey's making, he's buying racehorses and everything that he likes to do. <laughs> he you know, love a racehorse, Jerry. Lo- loves his racehorses. Have I told you in this podcast you had a horse called Motley Fool? No, really? Have I not told that story yet? No. Yeah, there's a, there Maybe the Shakespeare reference or the, or the company? No, yeah. the company reference, funnily enough. Wow. Story from the Kigo. Like, wow, that's now you've interested. Me. <laughs> we'll come you, back to you. You had my curiosity. Now you've now you've got my attention. <laughs> um, um, but what was interesting, right? So in 2007, Harvey Norman yep. was making about 1.3 billion in, in revenue. It's a big company, right? Uh, 2008 made a little bit more. 2009 still 1.4. 
2010. So this we've gone through the GFC, right? Top line mm-hmm. didn't really change that much. 1.3, 1.5, then 1.4. I'm out to 2013 now, 1.3. So the kind of top line just sort of stagnated for a little while. Yeah. Interestingly, though, if you look at the pre-tax profit, even if you strip out the what they call unusual items, you know, they like to strip out you know, one-off costs and things that, that aren't mm. symbolic of, of what the true underlying performance potential of the business is. So again, I'm being general. I'm not, we can have that argument as to whether you should do that. I'm just trying to pick the yeah. better measure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in 2007, mm-hmm. they were making 400 million uh, in, in profit. Uh, in 2008, they actually did okay. There's a bit of a lag effect here. They actually made 450 million. Then they made 377. And then a couple of years later, it was 256. So what's going on there? Sales actually held up really well. Profit really fell away. You might know that the, the, the story there, but I would I would guess that they were selling things at much lower margins, um, uh, or they bulked up a lot of their fixed costs as they tried to expand into other areas. Mm. But the point was this: point was this. They um, they survived. In fact, they never right. they never dipped into loss. You know, even the worst worst year. I mean, they they were, they were still making money and still paying out a dividend. And in 2007, 11 cents per share. It was 14, then 11, then 14, then 12, then 9, then 14, then 20. This is maybe where some of that investment started to pay off. 30 cents, you know. And so everything that someone, a a very bearish person was looking at back then would have made the argument, things are going to get very tough. and would have been right. Even though sales held up better than maybe a lot of people thought, they really had to do it at much thinner margins. Profit really got whacked. But they, they maintained their dividends. They weren't cut in half as we're sort of talking about, but they pulled back significantly. And mm. they went on to, to prosper. In fact, when was the best time to buy? Right at the, right at the nadir there, where, where things were just bombed out. You know, the dividend had been pulled back a bit. Profit mm. had been falling. The multiples were super low. And I'm quickly flicking across to another chart here. Uh, Man, so hashtag you, research. You know, here you go. So 2014, you, you could have picked them up for 260. Uh, 2017, you you double your money, right? That's yeah, yeah. that's the that's that's the that's I, I suspect the the hope that you're looking at here. So it'll yeah. <laughs> and it's the multiple you just talked about, right? When you get yeah. growing earnings and then a growing multiple of those earnings, that's what happens. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, look back to the original question. What are the, which one of these two attributes and characteristics make it a better company? Well, whichever one generates the free cash. But I suspect with two companies yeah, like right. this, both I, I'm with you. I don't own shares, um, but but both I suspect will survive. But both will probably have a rough rough patch in between. Yep. But if you're sort uh, of looking beyond that, yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, here's the thing, right? I like it's not. I don't want to make a prediction. But I want to. It's prepare, not predict, is is my mantra. Correct. And so let's say there isn't a recession. Well, even better, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. Wow, actually, things get really good there. But but even if there is, it's sort of like mm. you're accounted for. You, you've accounted for that for, for some uh, to some degree. So yep. it's just tough. Just expect it. Expect it with these kinds of com- in any kind of company that has cyclical a cyclical dimension to it. And most do. Most do. Correct, correct. I think made that, and that's a, that's a great summary. I don't think I'm going to add much more to that. Um, I own Harvey Norman because if you're looking at these two, I think you're probably playing a value game. I think, I think if you're trying to find a growth story, knowing the economic circumstances we potentially run into, 
I think you're probably, you know, going to... Your odds of success are lower than if you're looking for a value way to play this. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I have, again, I'm not predicting, but to your point about channel economic, you know, challenging economic circumstances, if that's going to happen, you want to get through that, you want to take advantage of cheaper prices, Harvey Norman stands out to me. As I said, we recommend both. I like them both. I think they're both market leaders. I, I, we wouldn't have recommended them otherwise. So mm-hmm. um, big fans of both businesses. I think they're going to be completely fine. Uh, will they have some troubles? Probably, but who knows and we're looking at the other side bigger and better yeah probably because the Australian economy is not shrinking anytime soon permanently and that's kind of the story this bottom line mate for me this is you don't have to buy these companies to be a long-term investor you don't own them that's completely cool but this to my mind is exactly what every long-term investor should be able to understand acknowledge and appreciate because this is the very definition of looking through short-term issues to long-term value creation it's what happens in five years' time, not what happens in the next six months or 12 months. Maybe the market goes up or down. Maybe the market goes up and the shares go down. Maybe the market goes down the shares go up. Maybe the economy has a recession. Maybe it doesn't. You, you can't know these things. Trying to trade on them is, is in my mind, just madness. Like, yeah. really crazy stuff. Wayne Gretzky, a uh, uh, ice hockey player, has this great... I think it was Wayne Gretzky said, it is skate, Gretzky, yes. skate to where the puck is go- going to be, not yes. where it is. Yes. And I just... I, it's just it's so wonderful, you know? Yeah. It, 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 it's... That, that's that's what investing is is all about. Yeah. And if you can position yourself for, for where it will be, not where it is... I mean, that's why I can sort of, on one hand, say, oh, you really want good companies and, and yet you look at my portfolio there's a bunch of loss makers in there. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They, they don't yeah. make profit at this point. Yeah, yeah yep. I know that. But but they sure are making a lot of sales and those sales are yep. growing and their costs are reasonably fixed and it feels like that could pass an inflection point at some point in the next mm-hmm. few years. In which case, you know, these, these, these PE of infinity looks insane now, but if they can sort of do half of what you expect, actually they're probably on a very low PE at that point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, uh, yeah. Think, think forward. Yeah. I that yeah absolutely um that that's and that's the point right because it's it, where, where is the puck going to be after the recession if there is one someone's going to say what comes your own now oh the ones are going to benefit from the rebound in consumer spending oh, well like jb and hi-fi yeah, yeah yeah but the share price is already up because the market's already expecting that oh bugger mm. you know you, you've got you've got to be you don't have to be contrarian for its own sake but once the market's already pricing a thing in, don't buy on the basis of that thing because that, that's that's literally the definition of insanity right if you want to take advantage of a thing whatever that thing is do that thing when no one else is doing that thing. That's how you make the money. Yep. If, if the market's already recognized, like the COVID recovery, right? The market crashed before COVID arrived and then recovered before COVID left. If you're waiting for the, the, the event, you know, if you're waiting to buy it either, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell when COVID arrives. Well, the shares are already up. I'm going to buy once COVID's gone. Well, the shares are already up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you've literally got to, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. But if you're going to try and play that sort of story, you've got to start with that position. Yeah, you have to. You have to. I, do, I, I just, I think, I've said it so many times before. I know I'm repeating myself, but I think approach it like a business owner. If you've got a potential to open up a retail store in some main street in a town and, and make a lot of money over the next 10 or 15 years, would you not do that because you're worried that there could be one or two years in there that it's pretty tough? I mean, you know, it's, it, it, the value of the company is the, the sum total of its, it, it's all of its cash flows over its entire life. It's not about what it's going to make next year. In fact, it could, it yeah. could lose every, it could, you know, make a massive loss next year and then make a squillion dollars the year after. You've, you've got to look at it on balance. And, and this is the real, there's not many edges you have as a private investor these days because you're up against very well-resourced uh, institutions and individuals. Um, Frankly, people that have studied it and have better access than you and all of these unfair kind of things. 
But the only advantage that you really that the advantage that you have is that they operate under some institutional imperative that says they must try and outperform the market every three, six, twelve months. You don't. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So they'll be. I reckon if you spoke to some of the you know Harvard educated analysts out there, be going, everything you're saying <laughs> is absolutely true. I'm just not going to buy it because I'm going to look like an idiot in twelve months' yeah. time. Yes, I, w- I yes. want to get my bonus. And if I'm wrong, yeah, well, everyone else that. has done the same thing. So I'm not. I mean, I'm. I'm it's always better to be wrong as a group than than exactly. wrong by yourself. Yeah. You know, uh, right. you don't have that pressure. You don't have that pressure, and that is that is that is something that you should really focus on. <laughs> it's a huge edge. Man, we doubled down that first question, didn't we? Gosh, yeah. and that's the podcast for this week. <laughs> let's assume it's not, at least for the purposes of our, our recording. Uh, let's go to the second second half of the same question, oh, which gosh. was actually a different question. Um, but he was asking about whether he should alternate between ETFs one month. So the, he's mentioned the Vanguard Australian Shares ETF, which is the ASX 300s. The AS is the code. Um, and then buying companies the other month. So ETF, then Brickworks. ETF, then something else. I should say I own shares in Brickworks, and I'm pretty sure I own units in the VAS and one of my kids' accounts, I think, from memory. So just disclosure, disclosure. Um, what do you reckon, mate? Is that, is, that, is that a workable, reasonable, recommendable way of building a portfolio? Oh, I suppose. I mean, or you could just take whatever money it is and put half in a in the VAS and half in a, in a yeah. share. I mean, the, the dollar cost averaging effect, I don't think is going to be materially changed whether you split it 50-50 each month or you alternate each mm-hmm. month. Uh, yeah. Do the maths on that. There'll be a difference. It won't be a big difference. So it's, it's kind of minimizing costs and doing one thing and having like putting all the money in one yeah. place rather than oh, yeah. spreading it across brokerage costs or something. I don't, I don't really know. I'm speculating. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it so formulaic. Frankly, I would say, how much can I save each month? Each mm-hmm. month, I'm going to invest that. Now, yep. some months will come along. It's like oh, I've just got no ideas. I don't, I know, I don't know what to buy. Oh, buy the ETF. Yep. Easy. Yeah. One month will come along, and you'll go, oh man, I've really got this great idea that I'm really, really passionate about, and high conviction yep. in. In which case, and that may maybe maybe the month later, you still like it. You know, that, so so. Act opportunistically. And not, I'm not saying that from a timing perspective. Yes. Let yes. let the opportunity set that sits in front of you at that point in time make your decision for you. I like and that. I think probably, if you're anything like me, most of the time it'll be actually I don't new I, good mm-hmm. ideas mm-hmm. are rare. I was saying to you yep. before the pod, yep. right? It's, they're very rare. And a lot of them don't come along that often. So just be patient. Sit on your hands, and but you want to keep investing. You, keep, you want to keep dollar cost average. So do the ETF. Yeah. I, I think that we we could talk about you know, yeah, perfect is the enemy of the good, right? And so I don't know. Can, we, can we discuss whether buy and <laughs> buy monthly or is is, is better or that? I, I I think it's much a muchness, frankly. But I would, I would, as I said, I would let the opportunity set dictate my actions. I like that, mate. I'm going to only add a couple of thoughts by way of trying to round out the answer because you've done a really good job. Uh, first is I would do that. I would also though do it in the context of two things. The first is portfolio management. So if your best idea is Brickworks one month, then next month it's still Brickworks, the month after that's still Brickworks, and 12 months later you've got a lot of Brickworks and nothing else, you might not have done yourself any particular favors in terms of building a diversified portfolio. So um, always start with your best ideas, but then ask how does this best idea add to or subtract from my portfolio as a whole. And there too, we don't talk about it enough, mate, because it's a really squishy topic and maybe we should try and do it someday. But I don't believe in portfolio rules necessarily of this much of that, that much of that, or you got to sell over this much or buy, don't buy more than that or whatever mm. it is. But I do think, I do try and think about the context of my portfolio. If I'm going to buy something, so, oh, my best idea is this. Mm. Do I already have too much of that? Yeah, I do. Okay, well, what's my next idea? So there, I think you need to think about the portfolio a little bit. 
um, when it comes to just how you're going to allocate yep. that that money. Um, I do like that of doing it every second month if brokerage costs are an issue and if you're going to get smashed by buying two stocks a month, for example, um, if you've got to pay two lots of brokerage, just pay one instead. If that's an issue for you with your chosen broker, um, there's no harm in that. Particularly if you're talking about, you know, if it's a 25-year deal, uh, what's 25 times 12, mate? Is it uh, 300? Yeah, close enough. Um, yeah. Then, you know, you got to buy 300 trades. There's no hurry to get one this month and not wait till next month, right? Over, mm-hmm. over a lifetime of dollar cost averaging, it's really not a big deal. So take your time, do, do what you need to do. Uh, keep your costs low if you can. Think about the portfolio itself as a whole and make sure you're comfortable with the, the house you're building. You know, laying brick by brick by brick is fine when you realize you've got, you know, a 16 foot wall on one side, nothing on the other side, you've probably overdone it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just think about how that might build out uh, in, a, in a kind of achievable way. Um, I, I other than that, I think Ram's right. I think absolutely that's a great way to do it. I would maybe think about international ETFs if you want to think about adding to ETF exposure a little bit, just to kind of again on a portfolio perspective round that out. That can be useful, uh, but over time you're going to do very, very, very well if you dollar cost average into quality businesses at decent prices. Yep. And to Ram's point, take your best ideas. Uh, you know, if you're going to buy the ETF, but but all of a sudden your favourite stock's on special, you know what? You can afford to dip into that one and buy an extra bit of that this month, and then yep. go back to the ETF next month. Hundred percent. Mate, um, let's go to a question from... I'm just checking to see it's anonymous. It's not, which is good. This is from Tim. Good morning, fools. Quick question about the... Tim's pose. doxed himself. I know exactly who you're talking about. Oh, dear. No, it's the other Tim. <laughs> All right. I do, I do think Tim. that sometimes we get a bit worried about this stuff. I mean, unless you've got <laughs> a really unusual name, no one's going to no one's gonna know who you are if you give us your first yes. name. Anyway. I Andrew Page isn't really Andrew Page, actually Rainbow Bright, but uh, we call him Andrew <laughs> Page because Rainbow Bright gives him away. Exactly. Um, good morning, fool, says Tim. Quick question about the proposed super changes. Would you keep contributing to super if you were a few years away from retirement and already over the $3 million mark? I yes. know. Good problem to have, he says. If not, what would you otherwise do with the money? Thanks for your stamina in keeping the podcast alive, Tim. <laughs> would you? Oh, man. I've, I've had a few people... Um, Be nice. Of a certain demographic... Be nice. Uh, ...whinge to me Be about nice. this. And I have zero sympathy. I mean, <laughs> for goodness sakes. It is... <sighs> I know Tim's not saying this, so I'm not not lumping you here with this. It's a very very good question. I mean, it's still preferential. It's still preferentially taxed, so it's still the best alternative, right? And it might be different if you're yeah. 40 years away from retirement. I was going to say, yeah. God, God yeah. knows how they're going to change. They're, they'll change the rules. I, I can guarantee yeah. it. Um, uh, but when you're close, and maybe you're on the highest rate of tax now, but you can get what is it, 30 yeah. percent instead of 15 percent? Like, come on, mm-hmm. come on, you know. But the amount of the amount of uh, people have whinged. To oh, be fair, it's so Tim's, unfair. Not, Tim's not whinging about the tax. He's not saying it's unfair. No, I know, I know. It's, just, it's my latest yeah. bugbear because it's it's like hyper <laughs> rich, hyper rich you know, people complaining about paying thirty percent, which is very very favourable on bal- only on balances above three million. I tell you what, I'll swap your position. If you hate that so much, <laughs> let's swap. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it drives me crazy. Yeah, can I tell yeah. you? Can I tell you my favorite? Can I? Can I? Can I rant just for fun? Is people who want stage three tax cuts, and God knows what's happened between now and recording and going live. About people who say they deserve the tax cut, and I'm kind of like, oh, come on. So you might think you pay too much tax, and that's fine. When you when you consider the alternatives used for that cash, and you say I deserve a tax cut more than I don't know a pensioner deserves to have the heater on, or you know someone on welfare deserves enough money to actually pay the rent. Uh, I, I am I suitably the, the word deserve has come it's become this political thing I, I think it goes back to 
I, I, well, in my in my recollection, it's the Tony Abbott as opposition leader thing where politicians realize not saying his fault, but I think it was that time because the governments never do it, right? Because that sounds terrible. Mm. So the opposition say, "We know you're doing it tough. You deserve a tax cut. You know, you you're, you need some help. We will help you." The idea of making the voter slash citizen giving them the impression, feeding that holiday of they're so hard done by that only we can help you and your life is terrible and we're really sorry about that. And I just think if politicians was fair income, they'd all get up and say, we live in Australia. We have universal health care. We have a passable, but probably could be approved safety net. No one is paying more tax than they can afford to in any real sense, unless you made some really stupid financial decisions. Life is pretty bloody good. And frankly, if you want to swap your problems with anybody else in the world, knock yourself out because I'm it. not going to. Yep. And that 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 would be the that would be the honest political ad would be, you know what? Actually, we're both we're both pretty much the same. Libs mm. and Labor, we're all the same. We've got some differences on a couple of edge cases, and you can mm. argue that one of us might be better than the other one. Mm. But either way, you're going to live in a, you're going to live in one of the best countries on earth, one of the best potential. You know, like seriously, what, you, you you want you want to line up your problems and have a whinge? I I I've said this on the podcast, mate, but it's, it, and it's a it's a very different thing, but also very similar. You know, when 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 um, military veterans come back from war. And look around all the things we whinge about. And they say, what the hell is wrong with you people? I've yeah. just been here and done this. Or I've just seen that. Or people go back from third world countries as aid workers. And they're just, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't imagine the, the additional you know, trauma that adds to PTSD and other things they've already got when they come back and say, yep. and by the way, here's my problem. Oh, the, the, you know, I didn't get across the street fast enough. The bloke in front of me didn't. Or the, you know, the, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't get a tax cut as big as the other guy. Or yeah. my $180,000 isn't enough. I, need, I deserve more. I don't, I don't I, I, it must it must perspective be I'm not surprised perspective, perspective right yeah yep. I think I, I did a lot of backpacking Sorry, in Southeast Asia when I was oh, right. very young and I didn't um, know that I, I came back so thankful to be living in Australia you know I mean beautiful parts of the world but I mean very different um, yeah. economic privileges and the rest of it and and you know I, I think I think we lack all of that it drives me a little we bit really batty do. too about well I'll pick on the baby boomers because I can um <laughs> You know, you. Come on, that you, wasn't a surprise. You had you had free education. <laughs> you had um, you you were you were able to buy a house at three times household income, and only one of you had to work. Uh, you had thirty years of structurally declining interest rates. Mm. You had uh, you know just every. I mean, look, you play the cards you're dealt. I don't blame anyone right. for so, doing anything, yep. but don't stand yep. there and tell me that you worked harder and you deserved it more than like a Gen Z today. <laughs> who has to now both yeah. of the couple has to work. And even on that combined income in Sydney, they're paying 12 times their income for a house. Mm. And you're going to say, oh, it's because you eat too much avo on toast and that, but I was really smart and I worked really hard. It's like, no, no. You, we, we underplay the role of luck in our life. Oh, massive. You know? and, and you're at a point now where you could spend the rest of your days perpetually on holidays, traveling around and just have an incredible life. And good for you, good on you. I don't begrudge you for that. I would have mm. done the same kind of thing, but don't turn around and whinge about these kinds of things. I mean, just probably one of the luckiest generations that we've seen. In fact, we're actually seeing life expectancy and a lot of key metrics actually for the first time starting to decline. It seems to me as though this was, this was just a question of being born at the right place in the right time. You know, extra, not just extra points, a lot of extra points for being white and male, right? Wow, mm. that really helped. Mm. You know, ask someone who wasn't in that demographic how, how tough it's been over the, that, that period of time. So, again, you know, you get the cards you dealt, you play them to the best of your advantage, but just stop pretending that it was something special that you did that no one else has done. It, it just, it's very, it's very frustrating <laughs> to me. Anyway. 
Sorry, sorry to all the people. No. I know I'm lumping them all together, right? Like, <laughs> you're, you're here's the thing: I, I find as I get old, every generation is exactly the same. You know, That's we, the thing that gets we all are. We all are exactly the same. The, the, the baby way, boomers were the hippies. They were correct. the revolutionaries. They were the 70s, you know, 100%. they were the ones that's, that you that's know. That's my point. Ex- yeah. Yeah. You know, and and I remember the ethos, right, guys? Go back mm-hmm. to Woodstock. And mm-hmm. What you were protesting about and everything, you know, you've you've lost you've lost sight of what matters and enjoy I your good that. fortune and and yeah. and and stop whinging. Now it comes in the hate mail. We both coming thick and fast now. Well, t- page P A G. We um we both feel much better, mate, which is good, but. Tim is not complaining about the sorry, amount of tax Tim, he's going to pay. Sorry, he is doing exactly what we would do in our same circumstance to pay as little tax as we're allowed sure, to. Sure. Not, not necessarily begrudging the higher rate, but saying, hey, I'm not going to pay more tax if I don't have to. If I'm given the option, I'll take the, the lower tax option. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. So Tim's a few years from retirement. He, you would add money to super. Is that what you... If you had, if you had to spare yeah. 50 grand, you're like, what do I do? I invest in my own number? Do I invest it in super? You throw it in super? Uh, depends on what, what my current rate of tax is. Yeah. But if my tax rate is lower in right. super than without, and I only have to wait a couple of years, then hell, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute yep. no-brainer. Yeah, do yep. it for sure. I would actually take the other view, right? And and it's only because I agree with you about distance from retirement, which makes it less likely it's a big deal. My only issue is, as proposed, the government is intending to tax unearned income. In other words, unearned capital gains and stuff, which might actually require you to sell some assets to pay the tax if there was enough cash in the super fund mm-hmm. to meet that criteria mm-hmm. so i i gotta say because of that all uh, right yeah. um well you might be forced to sell anyway and it's and it's a wrinkle but it's a really important wrinkle and it's, it's my for all of the i completely agree with you about everything you've said and i don't know if you disagree with that this one no. tax on income i think is a complete debacle yeah. so i i'm i'm very 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 happy that they are taxing super higher i've talked before about how i read create super altogether not recreate it but re- restructure it so that there were, it wasn't as even as tax advantages as it's planned to be <laughs> i'd be even harsher than that mm-hmm. um but taxing unearned income is is madness so uh, i actually wouldn't make for that purpose for that reason i just think it, it puts you into a category where you know you could you could invest that money in your own name keep it for 10 20 30 40 years you're not going to pay tax on the capital gain until mm-hmm. you sell it mm-hmm. uh, in super potentially the way it's proposed i actually hope they change it but the way it's proposed uh, you will still have to pay tax. Now, I would, I, on unearned income, on that basis, I would, I would probably keep it outside. It's so dumb. You see some really bad takes in the media oh, every now. Yeah. It's like a billionaire. It's like you know, such and such as net worth increased by four hundred million this year, and they didn't pay yeah. any tax. Like yeah, it was all. <laughs> they didn't actually. I mean, the value of their Correct. their Correct. securities and stuff went up. And I'm not, I'm not trying to stick up. These people do not need yeah, me to stick yeah. up for them. But it's it it is it is when they sell that and they need to sort of redeem that in some way so that they can mm. spend it. absolutely tax tax them to the maximum extent possible and frankly they get away with very low rates of tax in in a lot of jurisdictions. But that's exactly right. Unearned, taxing unearned income it's like me claiming losses on un, unrealized losses. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. It, it's it's just it's just bonkers. You imagine the value of your house going up. It's like you know. Eight hundred thousand dollar house. The price of your house goes up ten percent in a given year. Yeah, you somehow have made eighty thousand dollar gain that you've got to pay thirty percent tax on. Yeah, I mean that's it's just it, it gets silly. By the way, Jeff Bezos, uh, the Amazon share price, I own shares. Everyone knows that. Last year, the shares fell in half. Mm. Can you imagine the tax refund you'd be due on unearned capital losses? Yeah, let's pay Bezos a bunch of money because he's right. Yeah, <laughs> oh, can, you, can you imagine that outcry? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, last question for the podcast. By the way, after my rant, thank you to this particular questioner who starts with, hello, Scott and Ram. Anonymous, 
in capital letters if you use this email in your podcast. See, this person, I was going to name them just for sheer amusement for myself, but I'm not going to because that's just read. Uh, this person gets it. They put it at the top. Firstly, congratulations on your podcast, says our uh, anonymous emailer, and the breadth of issues covered. Thank you. Also, thank you both for your commitment to contributing to providing a tremendously important source of education to your listeners. Oh, well, you're very welcome. Thank you for the kind words. About me, says our listener. Old bloke who first started investing in the share market in 2007, just before the GFC. Oof. In the days before podcasts, the only thing that kept me from panicking or jumping from a balcony was the marketing material emailed to me every few days from The Motley Fool, assuring me things would eventually get better and the dark days would pass. I know you are critical of some of the marketing. Shh, don't say that out loud. Mm-hmm. But I believe it kept me sane, for which I'm extremely grateful. In case your listeners are unaware, the fallout from the GFC was quite extreme. Even though I could pick up shares in great companies at huge discounts, the overall decline in prices for blue chip shares I owned was so steep that my portfolio only returned to the black in 2010. Which nicely underscores what we're saying before about long-term investing. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about CSL, he says. And if you like, ResMed and Cochlear as well. I own shares in all three. And I agree they are expensive using the metrics you described the other week. I can say I've never looked at their financial statements or undertaking a DCF of any company I've invested in. And I am a chartered accountant and I have an MBA prior to retirement, also a chief financial officer for over 20 years. To a large extent, the market sets the price investors are willing to pay for the future discounted cash flows of a company, having regard to uncertainty and sentiment at a point in time. You either pay it or you don't. But in my opinion, it says our listener, it's your assessment of its future prospects that is most important. Looking at financials that are six months old or more won't tell you much at all. The most important thing I focus on is my assessment of management and the board's capacity to continue to successfully execute a strategy that will build on and reinforce those elements that comprise a company's sustainable competitive advantage. Sounding very Buffett-esque there. The email goes on, all three companies have a long and successful history of doing so. Of course, they had their fair share of problems. Cochlear suffered a product recall in 2012-13. CSL recently bought Vifor for $18 billion. A large acquisition to be better down and may take years to provide the synergies forecasted. All three companies occupy the number one position in their field and continually reinvest a large proportion of their profits in R&D to maintain that position. They continually innovate and develop new products that will produce new and increased cash flows into the future. This strategy has been rewarded by the markets for a long time, and hopefully that will continue to be the case. Buying shares in a company with a lower multiple can be a more risky proposition if management and the board don't have a proven track record of developing and executing successful strategies, or if they operate with no economic moat. As Ram alluded to the other week, market sentiment may change and these valuations may decline in future. Certainly, CSL's share price has been volatile in recent years and has not yet reached its pre-COVID high of around $340. But there would need to be something that would act as a trigger for this to occur, which I suspect would be a loss of confidence in management. In the absence of any indication of this, I remain a very happy investor in these companies and have no intention to sell. As Buffett would say, my favourite holding period is forever. Regards, Stephen. Uh, I tempted to do a Tony Jones, Andrew, so I'll take that as a comment, but mm-hmm. I won't. I will ask you for some reflections on Stephen's uh, pretty passionate defence of, of some of these otherwise, I mean, theoretically at least, overvalued companies. I mean, they're great companies, just fantastic companies. And um, 
don't look at the share price chart. Look at what their profits have done over the years. The stability, strength of growth, you know, he says mm. they're leaders in their fields. They'll be around, I suspect, for many years to come and have a lot of growth potential. So I don't agree with any of it. I disagree with any of that. Um, uh, and if you gave me the choice between those three and really, frankly, 90% of other stuff listed on the ASX, it'd mm. be those three any day of the week. Um, but they, I think that value and quality is very widely recognized and understood. And Buffett also says you, you pay a high price for a cheery consensus. <laughs> um, you know, CSL is on a price earnings multiple of 44 or so. Um, uh, yeah, it's expected to grow. It's probably going to grow pretty well. But the risk I have, I think, is the potential here is that they absolutely deliver on expectations. Mm. But if the PE drops from like 45 to 30, 30 is still a high, it's double the market average, right? Yeah, that's right. So it's not like a, it's not like a collapse in sentiment. Mm. But that, that erodes 30% of any upside that you're, you're going to have. So mm. I just, I, I don't really have any, and if you're holding this for forever, and it's like if I had to put together a, a, a forever portfolio, mm. those three would probably be in it, to be honest with you. Yeah. But um, I don't know, am I trying to be too clever or I, I feel as though there are better risk-adjusted return opportunities mm. out there in the sense that maybe the companies don't share the same level of quality, but the return potential is higher because the the um, it's just not recognised in the price to date. So, but I'm not. I'm look. I'm I'm just sort of trying to give another side of the argument here. I really I really can't fault any of the comments there. It's just that for better or worse, my, my personal view is that they're sort of all a little bit on the XE side, and mm. and that's cool. That's you know different different opinions make a market. So that's 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 at some point I suspect just because that's what markets do, they'll get bombed out. Remember when CSL, I remember well, actually, there was when the Aussie dollar was above one US, it was above parity. <laughs> That's right, yeah. CSL got, well, I got a hit for six because right, everyone, right. oh, you know, the exchange rate means that their Australian dollar profits fall. It's all mm, true, mm. by the way. Um, yeah. But super high quality. The mar market just overreacted. Was the dollar ever going to stay above parity? Probably not. I'm no Forex trader, but it seemed like an unreasonably <laughs> ambitious expectation. And it was yeah. the buy of the century, you know. Oh, okay, now now I'm now I'm overegging the pudding, but it was an incredible <laughs> opportunity, and yeah. and that is something that would tempt me back in. Absolutely, something like that. Something which is not great. Mm -hmm. Cochlear had the product recall. Uh, you know, there, there'll be something that goes wrong, quote unquote wrong, um, <laughs> but won't won't point to any structural disadvantage of the business. The market will get its knickers in a knot and get all scared and yeah, difference, we'll have a different conversation at that point. But until then, yeah, just, just not, the value's not there for me personally. Yeah, I, I think, I don't, I, I'm tempted to try and try and straddle the fence here, mate, and it was splinters in the backside because I think it's, there's a really interesting long-term let me take. Let me start one again. I'm going to follow up a different run. If you're looking for returns in the stock market, you want to know how you're planning to do that, and you want to know. In my opinion, I think it's hopefully reasonably straightforward. You want to know that the way you're planning to do it is a way that has value, that has some degree of nothing's ever proven certainly because the number of sample the sample size is too small, all that kind of stuff. But you know, it's likely to continue to do well, and that you are likely to be able to do it well, which are two very different things. Um, I can know how to jump 14 cars on a motorbike 
but I'm probably not going to be able to do it well myself, right? Mm. There's, you know, can it be done? Yes. You know, could I learn to do it? I don't know. Probably not. It uh, doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means it's not for me. So I, I, and the reason I'm stuck in in between the two of those is for exactly that reason. On one hand, I am tempted to say we talked about Harvey Norman, right? And and the the other day the the, the sheer potential for that business. Um, given a really, 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 really low PE, doesn't even have to have the best growth in the world. If you're CSL, you're at a PE of about five times that. Mm. So you want to hope that value outs. Mm. Now, I will say I've been a long-term Cochlear fan. I've never owned the shares because I'm an idiot. But um, <laughs> I think Cochlear has got a multi-decade runway. right? Mm. Short of and, and the big watch out, the biggest bogeyman on the horizon is, is gene therapy, which mm. may completely destroy the entire business. Mm. But if it doesn't, and again, you don't have to be sure. You don't have to say, you know, I'm not going to hold it for 40 years no matter what. But... This is, again, to the questioner's point, uh, you know, a, a leader in its field, it, it's going to have more and more and more and more and more people diagnosed with hearing loss. It's going to have better products to solve that problem. It's a leader in its field. I think it's got a multi-year, multi-decade growth run. Mm-hmm. CSL, I'm less sure about, and this is where I want to, this is why I want to kind of straddle this fence a little bit. I, you have to, CSL for all of its size, we talk about companies that are ham sandwich companies. And we talk about companies that need good management. CSL is so dramatically, enormously huge, both in absolute terms, $150 billion market cap, but more importantly, it dominates its field so almost completely that I ha- you have to have a pretty good sense of where the growth is going to come from. And why I've been uh, you know, on the fence on CSL for the longest time is that I can say cochlear, I can see absolutely, not, in, not with absolute clarity, but prepare, not predict. I can, I can see a range of outcomes. Mm, mm. Is it likely more people have hearing loss in future because more people are diagnosed sorry, with it? Yes, uh, because the world's becoming more affluent. There are more people being born. There are more countries, more citizens being able to afford these things. And when you're a customer of cochlear, you're a customer for life because you've got an implant literally inside your head. Mm. You know, this is, this is not a, a fashion item, right? And so I can see a super long-term story for that one. I've made a mistake, I've said millions of times, with Coca-Cola Amatil before where I went, this is one of the highest quality businesses in the country, literally in the country. What did I forget? I forgot there wasn't enough growth left. It was so incredibly dominant. It was so ubiquitous. The where was the growth going to come from? You know? And so I got that, that one wrong, not because I misunderstood the quality, but because there wasn't enough growth opportunity left for this business to continue to do that well. And so I think you just got to be careful on those two. I don't have a view on uh, a view on CSL, a view on Cochlear, a view on ResMed. Um, I have views on them, but you know what I mean. Uh, the, I would just I would just suggest as you're thinking about these, by all means, I'm a big believer in quality. I'm a big believer in the Buffett-esque idea of time is the friend of a wonderful business. Uh, you want to pay a fair price for a wonderful business rather than a great price for an okay business. Those things are important. So I think you absolutely should have CSL, Cochlear, and ResMed in the very, very top echelon of your, I wish I could buy these at the right price list. And you also need to add to that, in my mind, a bit of an inside, inside baseball here, Ram. We've launched a service recently, and I won't, I won't give it a plug because I don't want to, but we've kind of coined a term, which is not really coined a term. I'm calling it QGARP. You know GARP, which is growth at a reasonable price. Oh, yes. Yep. So QGARP for my, is just, and it's just, we just did it because it's easy, is quality, then growth at a reasonable price. Mm. And the idea is exactly that, right? So you know, anything at a terrible price is a terrible investment. But a good price for a business with no growth that's low quality is also a terrible investment. Mm. So we've, we've said, okay, well, Buffett's done really, really well by putting growth first. And probably quality first, sorry. Uh, and so if that's true, well, let's do the same thing. Let's find the highest quality business we can find on the ASX. Then let's make sure there's enough growth left. And then let's make sure the price is reasonable, not cheap, but reasonable based on 
that quality and growth. It's not the usual work you're using of GARP. You know, Buffett's not exactly a GARP investor, though. You could argue he kind of is. Um, but we just use that framework to try and say, okay, if Buffett's right, and you want to build a, a super long-term focused portfolio of, of the best companies you could find, and as long as you make sure you buy them at the right price, that's exactly the approach we've taken. So I, I think, you know, I absolutely get where our, our, our listener's coming from. I don't think he's wrong in any meaningful way, uh, but I do think you just have to make sure, in my mind, you tick each of those three boxes. Even if reasonable price is 40 times earnings, if you convince yourself that's okay, that's cool. Just make sure there's enough growth left for each of these businesses so you don't replicate my mistake with Coca-Cola and Amatol. Mm. I think, I mean, I think there's still some good growth potential left. Um, but yeah, just, just sort of by definition, it will get harder and harder. I mean, <laughs> exactly. if you extrapolate the growth rate, historical growth rate forward, mm. at a mm. point in time, you exceed the world's GDP. So exactly. just, logically, it will <laughs> yeah. level off at some point. Now, yeah. it could be 20 yeah. years away, right? Yes. And this is this is the work you, you need to do. Um, so yeah, look, I don't think any of us are saying anything too controversial here. And I don't think anyone's necessarily wrong or, or, or mm. right. I mean, investing is, and value is very much in the eye of the beholder a, a lot of the time too. So, yep. I mean, look, of all the portfolios and holdings you hear of people having, I just got, I got nothing bad to say about someone who holds right, these, exactly. these three stocks, yeah. right? <laughs> That's right. I don't, I don't think you're, you're doing anything too um, uh, reckless here, but anybody, not even close to being reckless. And, and the good thing is with the companies of these quality is that if you do get the valuation wrong and you're a long enough shareholder, it might mean that you average out at 7 or 8% compound instead of maybe something that's double digit. And that's yeah. not a disaster. You know, it's not what you want. You'd like a bit more, but it's not a disaster. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think uh, just it's a question. Here's the other side. You can be too fussy. Because I yes. don't own any of these as well. Yep. And I've said before, oh, when things get rough and really get a bit old. <laughs> well, I didn't. I have. I had opportunities in the past yep. and, I, and I didn't do and it. Up and up they go. Yeah. You know? And yep. so there is there is a lot to be said for for, yep. for not trying to be too clever with, with these kinds of things. I think that's important. I'm going to just add one more thought, mate, and then we'll probably wrap it up. I The other thing I think just, and it's one we've talked about with the banks before, and it's really, really... Humans are weird animals, right? We all like confirmation bias and we all like to subconsciously rely on our evolutionary um, benefits. The, thing, the things that helped us become more functioning humans, the things we take for granted, the heuristics and rules of thumb, those things that kind of just help us get through life, right? You know, if you had to wake up in the morning and think about, should I get out of bed? Okay, which leg will I pick up first? And which muscle will I use to do that? And then will I walk to the bathroom or the kitchen or the lounge room? And then if you had to make all those decisions consciously and really think them through from first principles, you wouldn't make it out of the house. You know, you just, the number of decisions that we make heuristically end up being what they are. Mm. And one of those things is we get used to pattern recognition and we extrapolate. And so my only last comment, I don't even make this actually even seriously about any of these three companies, as much as I do about the banks, which I absolutely do make this point. But but I, I want to raise it just given the context, we're talking about historical performance, is every every big business that fails was a successful big business before it failed. Or every big business that is now mature was once a growth business. Woolies is a great example. It went through, I, I was lucky enough to work in the food industry, um, look for some supplies for Woolies for a decade or so. And when I was going through that that journey, I, I, I was at those companies kind of about halfway through Woolies growth story. These used to be independently run state-based grocery organizations that were 
small market shares each. I think Woolen Cost had 20, 22% market share, something like that in the early 80s. Not that I was there then, but you know, that's kind of where they came from. And there was there was Safeway in in Victoria. Woolies kind of owned it, but it was its own brand. It ran its own thing and all that kind of stuff. And then over the over the kind of, you know, 20-ish years, 25 years from the early 80s, these businesses became the dominant retailers. Fleming's went broke, Franklin's went broke. Uh, you know, IGA, which we kind of know now used to be about 25 different brands, most of which died and they kind of consolidated what was left in IGA. Um, individual wholesalers went broke. Australian Independent Wholesalers was a wholesaler down in Canberra at one point. It went broke. It was bought by Woolies, I think, from memory. Um, so the, the consolidation of the grocery industry happened over that 25-year period. Mm. Now, when you consolidate an industry, you get growth far ahead of the industry if you're one of the eventual winners because you just gobble up like Pac-Man Every everyone else's market share. So not only do you grow at the pace of the of the market growth, you grow at market growth plus market share growth. Mm. That's how you get your total returns. Now, what happens when you and your competitors end up with 100 percent of the market left between you and no one's taking share anymore? Well, then you're just left with market growth, and that's completely fine. It's completely fine. Willies and Coles will be fine, but they also got there a different way. You know that they had growth opportunities that they exploited during that 25-year period that simply don't exist anymore because the market is the market is the market. And so you shouldn't expect that just because you can't look back and say, well, it's, oh, well, they've always grown at 10% a year. They, they always will because they're just great and they've, they know what they're doing. If you don't consider the very reality of why they got to grow at that rate, which was they're gobbling up market share. And so I just want to flag that. We said it with the banks a lot. And I want to use someone different who used the supermarkets this time around because I was kind of there. I knew a little bit about it. But also it saves us being accused of bank bashing or people switching off. But just remember, you know, what gets you here? those factors eventually some of which will drift drift away as to your point ram you can't get bigger than the economy eventually you can't mm. compound at that rate forever the same is also true of even you know sectors um the, you know well listen coles can't get bigger than the grocery sector because they will be the grocery sector at one point mm. the banks can't get rid of the bigger than the banking sector uh, and as those things mature you just have to expect lower growth and as an investor you have to make sure you're not paying a growth multiple for a business that stops growing because that's how uh, you end up potentially getting your backside handed to you yep Absolutely, especially when it's priced for growth and the growth doesn't emerge. There's one thing to correct, you know, and that's the price. On that cheery note, I think we're done. I think so. Will you come back on Friday? Yeah, let's do it. I look forward to it. Until then, I'll try and think of a new intro for Andrew and uh, (laughs) we'll see if we can can trip up with something. Please no Bitcoin questions. Thank you, if you don't mind. That'd be great. Until then, full on. Bye. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.